known story. Uh, it is very famous and very well known, but it's the only gospel that records this miracle, this raising of Lazarus from the dead. And I don't think I'm spoiling the story to uh, say that. I think most of us have heard the story before. We're going to just look at the first 27 verses and um, read and see what God has for us in the passage today. John 11, and if you found your place and you're able to stand, please do so. John chapter 11, verse 1 through 27. John 11, 1 through 27. And the Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, when he had heard that he was sick, he remained two days still in the same place where he was. Then, after that, he said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples said to him, Master, lately the Jews have sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. He said these things, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had already been lying in the grave four days. Now Bethany was near to Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you will ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's bow our heads together. 
Lord, we have opened your word and we have read your word and I ask that your Holy Spirit would lead and empower and bless. I pray that you would banish other thoughts and distractions and other feelings from our hearts and minds and may we be able to focus our full heart and our full attention on you in worship, in learning, in uh, an openness to you. We ask that your voice would be heard clearly in every heart and may you get the glory just as you did in this passage. May you get the glory again right here on this Sunday at Every Nation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I think each of us have had the frustrating experience of running late. Uh, Running late is something we try to avoid. Some people do a better job at it than others of not being late. And I was, uh, my first two areas of learning the, the push to not be late was in going to church and in going to school. And uh, as a child, that was always a a big flurry of activity, rushing around, getting things together, trying to get out the door and to not be late. Now, when we would go to school, uh, we would listen to the radio on our way to school, and the radio was our marker on how we were doing. At 7.30 a.m., at that precise time, our station would air Paul Harvey News and Comment. And we would listen to Paul Harvey's, I don't know, two-minute take on the news and his little commentary. And we would, we would know based on Paul Harvey news and comment if we were doing well or not. And I remember a few times where we knew we were doing really bad because by the time we got in the car, Paul Harvey news and comment was already done and over with and we had missed it. And then we knew that we would have a, uh, a push to get there and we would be by the skin of our teeth if we made it. And that was the measure for being late. Now, it's one thing to be late to school. You get the little, you know, tardy notice. Sometimes I get them in text. Your son has received another tardy notice, all right? That's what happens to me when my kids get to school late, and I'm the one that's usually driving them there. So that's a, you messed up this morning, and you know. But anyway, um, but it's one thing to be late for school. It's a one-time thing. But it's, it's something else to be late to a wedding or to a funeral or to your cruise ship when it's leaving, or to your flight, right? There are certain things that when you're late for that, it's a big, bad problem. And it's not just a one-off. This is something that you will never forget. Jesus appears to be late. It looks like he is late in the story. And of all people that you would think would not be late, it's Jesus Christ. However, as we understand the story, we come to find out that it was not him being late. It was rather his perfect timing. This miracle is the climax of the miracles of Jesus in the book of John. John has gone through a series of miracles, seven in fact, and this miracle is the highlight. It is the high point. It is the highest miracle that Jesus does before his own resurrection, of course. In the passage, we see that that Jesus shows himself as being the resurrection and the life. We're going to see that unfold as we work through the passage, but Jesus had raised other people from the dead, had he not? Wasn't there other people that Jesus raised from the dead? Yes, there were. Do we remember who they were? Jairus' daughter, that was one. The widow's son was the other. And uh, there may have been others that aren't recorded, but those are the two we know about. And with Jairus' daughter, Jesus went there And she was in the room having just died, and Jesus brings her back to life. With the widow's son, 
the, the widow's son was kind of on the way to the grave, and they were doing the funeral procession when Jesus came along. So with both of these stories, it was within, certainly within 24 hours of when they had passed that Jesus brought them back to life. With Lazarus, we have a much more clear and obvious miracle that there's no way there could be a story or a conspiracy theory brought up against the story because Lazarus had been in the grave four days. Four days he's been in the grave. And so this miracle is unique and it is uh, very clear cut. There's no way that this could be disagreed with because Lazarus was an adult. These other two were younger people. Lazarus was in the grave for four days and there was a host of people outside the grave that watched it open up and he came out with the grave clothes on. You know, if you stick someone in a grave for three days and three nights with no food and no water, what happens to them? They die, okay? And uh, that also has a lot of application to Jesus, does it not? But here in this story, there's no way you can live for three days without fresh air, without water, without um, sustenance, especially having been sick. And so there's a clear-cut miracle here. This is the high point of Jesus working. One other thing I want to point out before we get started is we see the different people in the story. Lazarus himself was the sick one. He was the one that was hoping Jesus would come. Uh, Maybe he heard his sisters talk about we should send for Jesus. Mary and Martha were the sisters who were, we could might say, sick with worry, right? They were the ones who loved their brother so dearly. We also find the disciples who are with Jesus and confused at the delay. Um, We also, there's one person in the story we don't think about a lot. It's the person who brought the message. And there was someone who came from Bethany and ran to Jesus, obviously very urgently. I'm sure he didn't stroll along. Very urgently he rushes to Jesus. And the messenger was a player in this story. We also find Jesus himself waiting here. But then when he arrives, we find him weeping and grieving. We see the Jews. And ultimately we see hopefully the God who gets the glory. Let's get started in verse 1. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. This is just setting the stage, but it says Lazarus, Mary, Martha. This is the Lazarus. This is the Mary and Martha that we hear about in other places. Specifically, Mary is still coming. The story of her is actually in chapter 12, so we haven't even reached that story yet. But it looks like... um, here we go. I'm going to get my arrows right. The delivery of the news. The, Lazarus is sick. The sisters start to get really concerned. And they send out a messenger. Verse 3. His sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When the news comes to Jesus, do you notice what they say to him? Look carefully at verse 3. All they say to Jesus is the one that you love is sick. They don't say, please come now. They don't say, please come heal him. All they say is the one that you love is sick. And you know what that shows us is it shows that they knew that Jesus, because he loved him, would take action. He would do something. He whom you love is sick. These sisters knew that Jesus loved Lazarus. They assumed that Jesus would know what their request was. And in a way, we can really commend their faith, can't we? 
Because they, they realized, I need to reach out to Jesus. Jesus is the one who can heal him. And so we're going to send someone to Jesus. In other words, they're doing everything right. Do you see it? Lazarus gets sick. They're like, oh, we know the answer. Jesus is the answer. Let's send someone to him. And they don't even have to doubt him. No, rather, they're, they're, the way they phrase their, their information, it shows how much they trust him. All they have to say is, the one that you love is sick. And so they, they lay this news before Jesus. And Jesus responds with his own unique answer. In verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. Now, we don't know who all heard this, but the Bible says that right when Jesus heard the message, he said this in response. So we know one person who heard it. Who's that? The messenger heard it. The messenger comes. The one whom you love is sick. And Jesus responds, this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. And you know, Jesus immediately responds, and he can already see the outcome. Jesus already sees the end of a thing. And so often when we come to the Lord with our requests, with our prayers, we see what is right in front of us, don't we? We see the sickness. We see the problem. And, and we come to the Lord and we say, this is my problem. Please fix my problem. And God sees the problem and He also sees the outcome and He sees the purpose of it all. He can see it from start to finish. That's our God. He looks at our needs and He cares about them, but He sees it so much bigger than we do. And Jesus is looking at it and He says, this sickness is not to death. Now when you read that, it might kind of sound like He's saying Lazarus won't die. But I believe He's speaking of the purpose. It's not for death. Or death is not the, the ultimate outcome here. But rather, this is for purpose, for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. We do not see all of this when we pray. But we bring our prayers to the one who does see this. And that gives me courage. That gives me hope. Because when I bring my request to the Lord, I not only come with my problem, but I can also come knowing that He sees the outcome. He sees the end. He can connect my problem with His bigger purpose. And His purposes are so much greater than our simple requests. They're so much better. And Jesus already sees, oh, this is not to death. This is for the glory of God. And this is what the messenger would have returned to Martha with and to Mary, and would have said, well, this is what Jesus said. This sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God. Now, we might think that that would be a really encouraging message to hear, right? We'd say, oh, this is, this is excellent. And we might say, oh, well, they were misled. But you know, as we put the pieces of the story together, we actually discover that, Mo, that Lazarus has already passed away by the time the messenger gets back. And the reason we know it is because Lazarus was in the grave four days by the time Jesus comes, right? When he comes, he's been in the grave four days. Well, in, in this time period, people would, would put the body in the grave within 24 hours. They wouldn't, you know, wait seven days like we do and have a funeral. They didn't have all the, 
you know, the uh, formaldehyde and the different things that, you know, preserve bodies and refrigerators. And so 24 hours, the body would go in the grave. Well, Jesus is a day's journey from Bethany. And so the messenger takes a day to get to him and a day to get back. Well, we read that Jesus waits two days and then he comes. And so there's a day journey to get there. And what we discover is that by the time this messenger returns, Lazarus has already been dead. So can you imagine being the sisters and the day the messenger goes out, your brother dies. And they think, oh, we waited too long. If only we had called him sooner. Now, we don't know. Maybe he just got suddenly sick and suddenly died. Maybe there wasn't a lot of time to have done it differently. But the messenger comes back. What did Jesus say? This sickness is not for death, but for the glory of God. What? And, and in this moment, their request of Jesus is unanswered. The worst happens. The worst that they could imagine happens. Their brother dies. And all they get is this message that this is for the glory of God. But it's not to death. Oh, these sisters have to be so puzzled. They have to be so confused. They have to be so hurt. We believe the messenger gave the message. And let me point you to verse 40. Flip your page over. Verse 40, uh, Jesus says to Martha in verse 40, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you should see the glory of God? Now, I believe that this indicates that the messenger came back and mentioned the glory of God, just as we have it here. And Jesus tells Martha, didn't I tell you that this was for the glory of God and that you would see the glory of God? God would be glorified. I think each of us here have had moments where we come to the Lord Jesus with our prayer request. Sometimes they are urgent. They are painful. They are serious and deep. And we're expecting it to work out a certain way. We say, I'm coming with this prayer request. I'm looking for God to answer and for God to resolve the situation. We want the answer that we pray for. And we, in our minds, have already planned out how God can be glorified by it. Right? And in the minds of these sisters, I think that they're thinking... Oh, Jesus, you've healed the blind and you have raised the, this person and you've done this and, you've, and now you can do it for me. Now you can do it here. And now you can glorify yourself by healing my brother Lazarus. This fits so well into your plan, Lord, does it not? And the Lord says, there is a plan, but it's not your plan. We think of how it, it can work to the glory of God, but let me remind us all, we don't need to remind it, be reminded, but we, we do. God knows how best to glorify himself. And sometimes our version of how that should look like doesn't match God's version of that. You know, in the passage, Jesus sends his answer. Now, verse 5 affirms something to us. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It might seem kind of obvious, and we'd say, of course, Jesus loves everyone. Well, remember when, when the message first came to Jesus, the message was, he whom you love is sick. Jesus had a love with Mary and Martha and Lazarus that was not just the love of he loves all people, but there was a relationship. 
There was a more personal connection. If you don't believe that, just get to John 12 and watch Mary weeping and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and anointing him for burial. Believe me, there was a stronger relationship between these two than just the ordinary person. And so Jesus stays where he is. We're going to get to that point in just a minute. And the Bible goes out of its way to say Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Lazarus. It tells us that. But in the moment, in that moment of suffering, I bet they didn't feel it. Can you, can you attest to this? When your prayer request is denied, and when the worst thing unfolds in your life, you don't feel like God loves you. You don't feel it. And I've entitled the message Too Late as the starting point. And in these moments where we feel like God is late, or He does not answer, or He does not come through for us, and instead things get worse instead of getting better, those are the moments where we doubt God's love. These are the moments where we say, well, look at so-and-so. He answered their request. If he could heal the, the little boy that he hardly knows, why couldn't he heal the Lazarus who loved him so and, and who had this special relationship and, and had, had, I don't know how Lazarus had shown his love, but maybe he had just recently uh, come to faith or we don't know, but, but here he had this close relationship and, and if God can answer this prayer, why doesn't God answer my prayer? And Jesus has said to them, this is for the glory of God. And then, verse 6, he waits. Verse 6, Therefore, when he had heard that he was sick, he remained two days still in the same place where he was. Jesus does not begin moving. Jesus does not begin taking action. Jesus stays. Now, you probably would have thought that he would have come back with the runner. You know, the runner runs up. Oh, I have a message. He whom you love is sick. Jesus gives his statement. And then nothing. Nothing. And the runner has to be like, is that it? That's the message. So the runner goes off alone. And Jesus stays there alone. And we don't know if the disciples were there, but, uh, but they, they stay. They They remain. And it's immediately at this moment that, that the disciples or the runner, people around them and Mary and Martha back in Bethany begin to wonder about the goodness of God. To wonder about the actions of God. And to say in their heart, I thought he was a good man. You know, if someone calls me up and they say, Pastor John, I'm in ICU. The doctors say it's, it's the end. Would you come down here? And I say, you know what? Give me three days, I'll be there. Would they say, now Pastor John's a good pastor. I, you should have him as your pastor. No, people would say, that's horrible of you. What's wrong with you? And in this moment, Jesus does not look like a good man. A good man will rush to the aid of his friend. Even if he, had the, uh, even if he was a prophet, you would think he would have uh, the power to heal. And, and a good prophet would, would heal a sick person who loves the Lord. But Jesus doesn't look good in this moment. He looks bad. He looks bad. And these are the moments, Christian, where Satan whispers in your ear and says, see, everything you've learned about Jesus isn't true. He really doesn't love you. He really doesn't care about you. But you know, Jesus is waiting. And he's not waiting, 
because he wants Mary to suffer and he wants Martha to, to be upset. He's not waiting because he's hoping Lazarus will die. No, he's waiting. Why? Because there is something bigger at stake. There's something bigger that is happening. And Christian, we are so often small-minded and so often connected to our own concerns that there's a disconnect between how we see things and how God sees things. And the bridge is not to all of a sudden be omniscient like God. You say, if God would just let me know all that He knows, then we can be on the same page. That's not how it's going to work. That's not all how it's going to work, right? How's it going to work? How is it that we can bridge this gap of how I see things and how God sees things? What's going to bridge that gap? You know what it is? It's faith. It's faith in the heart of God. Faith that He does love me. Faith that He is at work. Faith that His plan is being implemented. Have you ever wondered if God's making mistakes? Have you ever wondered if God's asleep on the job? The Bible here says that Jesus waited. And I believe to the outside observer, they would say Jesus is making a critical mistake. But what's happening is that Jesus is putting together something that is far greater than what they could have imagined. Yes, for those four days, from the moment He died until the moment He came out of that tomb, those four days were days of suffering and sorrow and frustration and deep grief. But He was doing something greater. And Christian, can I remind us that when God says no to our prayers, and when things do not turn out like we think, and when it appears that God is asleep, there's something bigger that God is doing. These people had to endure it for four days. Sometimes ours go longer than four days, don't they? Sometimes it's four months or four years. Sometimes we don't see it all till eternity unfolds. But there's no one in eternity going to look at God and say, you should have done it differently. No. No. And on this day, on this day, the day that Lazarus died, they're saying, oh, if Jesus were only here, if only this was different, if only this was different. But four days later, when he came out of the tomb, Mary and Martha were not saying, oh, you should have done it different, Jesus. You should have done it different. On that day, they were saying, praise you, Jesus, your works are great and perfect. Do you know that's going to happen to us too? When we stand before the Lord, we too will say, oh, Lord, you have done perfectly. You have done excellently. You have done all things well. We will agree on that day that God has done everything perfectly. And so the... the challenge for us is not that day in heaven because we'll have it figured out and all settled then. The challenge for us is today. is right here in this moment. And can I urge you, Christian, to trust the love of Jesus and trust the wisdom of Jesus even when you can't see, even when you can't explain, even when things unravel in ways you never anticipated. You know, in sometimes working with young people and Talking about abstinence, there's the phrase love waits. You know, love waits, and it's a very different application to, to purity and so on. As we think about this passage, Jesus waited. He waited to come rescue them, but guess what? It was his love that was waiting, right? He loved them equally. He loved them just as much three days earlier, that same day, five days later. His love didn't go up and down like this. His love was constant throughout. But God was doing something. He was listening and he was loving them. Now verse 7 goes on to say, after that, after these two days have passed, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Now, we have the, the delivery of the news. 
this is the declaration of love in verse 5, and then the delay, verse 6 and 7. So now Jesus says, all right, let's go into Judea. He doesn't say, let's go to Bethany. He just says, let's go to Judea. Well, Judea was the place where they um, had run into some real big problems earlier. And if you remember from chapter 10, the Jews in Jerusalem had tried to stone Jesus. And Jesus left because of their threats and because of their stoning. And he says, let's go back into Judea again. Now, he says in verse 7, let us. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go into Judea and you come along with me into Judea, right? And if you put the pieces together, that would mean that Jesus would be in danger and the people who are with him would be in danger. And he says, let's go there again. Let's go into Judea. He doesn't say Bethany specifically, just Judea. His disciples, verse 8, said to him, Master, lately the Jews have sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Question mark. Why, why are you going back? Uh, don't you remember what they tried to do to you? Um, let's not do this, Jesus. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. It's a very strange answer um, because kind of on its face, you're like, what are you, what are you exactly saying, Jesus? Like what, you know, it's, he's kind of giving a little cryptic of an answer. He talks about the daytime and the nighttime and the, the walking in the light, walking in the darkness. What does this have to do with Jews? stoning you, you know, and uh, I still don't feel like I have a perfect understanding, but I, I believe Jesus is, is saying that the works that he is going to do will happen in the daytime because they are the will of his Father. So in John 9, Jesus had said this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work, John 9, 4. And it's almost as if he's, he's saying, look, I'm going there in the daytime. I'm not going there in the nighttime. I'm going in the daytime. And he doesn't mean the daytime literally, but he means that he's going under the shining blessing of his Father. All will be well because he's walking in the, in the day. And if he was to go outside of God's will, he'd be walking in the night. And so for us, I think the application is this, is that danger is only truly dangerous when it's outside the will of God. For in the will of God, danger is not really dangerous. Um, and you can hear stories and accounts of different people who said, God led me to do this and I experienced danger. And there are others who experienced danger and suffered an attack or they suffered harm or a health problem. But if it's in the will of God, if it was in the plan of God, to them there is no going back on it. Jesus says, I'm going to go to Judea because I'm walking in the light. I'm walking in the, the path of God's blessing and obedience. And um, just last night, the Stelzigs were sharing some stories of different moments of danger and how God had protected them and led them out of danger. And if you want to know those, I guess you can bring that up in the Q&A. Okay, later. But, um, but, you know, they've experienced danger. And anyone who's gone through life long enough has experienced dangerous circumstances. And Jesus says... Yes, there is danger there, but we need to go to Judea again because there's something that God wants to do over there. Can you imagine if Jesus, humanly speaking, now I know this didn't happen, so this is all theoretical, and I know it couldn't happen because he never disobeys his father, but can you imagine if Jesus said this, I'm too scared to go over there where Lazarus is. I might die. 
I'm just going to stay here. Now, how, how would that have served Martha and Mary? Lazarus would have stayed in the grave. Would Jesus' cause have gone forward or backwards? Well, it would have gone backwards because there needed to be another miracle and there were people that were going to believe. Now, Jesus, being the perfect Son of God, He knows there's much more at stake. But again, sometimes in our humanity, we get really wrapped up in the danger picture of things and we don't see what God's doing. And Jesus says, fellas, we're going to go back in Judea because we're going to walk in the light. We're going to walk in God's will. We're going to walk in God's blessing. And God is going to watch over us. So it's, it's going to be fine. In both of these examples, earlier and here, don't you see how our perspective and God's perspective are often so different? And we often are learning to grow and to broaden and to enlarge in our view of things and to see things from God's perspective so that we can walk in His ways. But if we, if we adopt the mindset of God has to treat me the way He treats every other Christian, God has to answer my prayers the way He answers so-and-so prayers, um, then we're going to be in trouble, right? Here in this passage, if our approach is, I won't do anything that might ever be dangerous or, or difficult because um, that just might be, that might have a bad outcome for me. I mean, I'm, I just might, uh, what could happen? I mean, what could happen? Well, let's hit the pause button. Who decides what happens in our life? Is it, are, we, are we just at, at the, the, the whim of, of, of sowing and reaping and, and every action we know the outcome and we know what's going We don't know. Well, who decides? Who decides our outcomes? God does. God does. And we can trust the outcomes to Him. Yes, we ought to sow. We ought to do right and sow good seeds and all of that. And yes, there are moments of danger and the Bible teaches prudence and wisdom but it also teaches us to trust in God and to let the outcomes be in His hand and to trust Him to overcome and to fight for us. So we see His answer, but in verse 11, He continues on, and we'll uh, finish up in these next few verses here, but verse 11, He said these things after that He said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. So He did share His purpose for going, and he says, Lazarus is sleeping. I'm going to wake him from sleep. And uh, I don't know all the reasons. I think Jesus did this as a teaching tool. But if you, if you notice this, there's so many times where people misunderstand Jesus, right? And then he clarifies later. Now, you, normally you might say, well, that's a bad communicator. I mean, you just need to communicate more clearly, right? Jesus isn't a bad communicator. No, he's speaking as he does intentionally to lead them along a path and to further teach and explain to them. So he says, Lazarus is sleeping. And they respond, oh, well, that is great news. If Lazarus is sleeping, then that's going to help him. You know, he's going he's to recover. He's going to get better. He may do well, the Bible says here. That, that word is, it's actually the word to save. And it, it, in this context, it would be to save him from his sickness. So to help him recover and, and heal. So uh, they say, well, this is great. You know, he's sleeping. Don't wake him up. Jesus, why are you going to wake him up? Jesus says, look, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And verse 15, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. You know, I think the disciples kind of had the idea, oh, if he's sleeping, he's improving. And if he's sleeping, then Jesus doesn't need to go there. And if Jesus doesn't need to go there, we don't need to go there. And we can just stay over here where it's safe. That would be great. And so let's just let him sleep. Jesus says, no, 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 he's dead. He's actually dead. And the word sleep is a, a term 
that is especially fitting for this story, isn't it? Why is it fitting? Because he would very soon be awakened out of that sleep and he would come forth out of that grave. But I'm thankful the Bible uses that term of you and me and of the Christian, that we sleep. When we die, we sleep. And the term is not meant to mean that we have soul sleep, like some teach it, or that, um, you know, that there's purgatory or something. No, the fact is, is that the term sleep is a reference to the body itself. The spirit is with God. The body is sleeping, awaiting the day of resurrection, right? But the soul, the spirit that's with God, that's not asleep, okay? The body is asleep, okay? And, um, and so he says, Lazarus is sleeping, and, and they run down this, this road. And now let's just wrap up here with verse 16. Then Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus has been very clear. Lazarus is dead. And now we hear what Thomas says. I don't know exactly how to take this. I don't know if this is a serious comment and this is just the loyalty that, that Thomas has that says we'll go and we'll die together. You and me, Jesus, we'll die. And I don't know if it's a serious comment or I wonder if it's a little bit sarcastic. All right, well, let's all go and die then, Jesus. You know, let's just, if he's dead, we can go be dead too. Come on, let's go, you know. I don't know which way to take this. But clearly, there's, there's something going on here where the disciples have a very different view of this than Jesus does. And I am so thankful that Jesus walks with us and he brings us along and he helps us along even when we really just don't see things the way Jesus does. He says, come on, let's go, let's go. It'll be worth it, I promise you, come on. We'll be okay, we'll be safe, come. It will be worth it, okay? We're gonna wake him out of sleep. Just come and see, come and see. And there are times in my life where the Lord Jesus kind of had to drag me a little bit and he had to say, come on, John, come on. Don't, no, there's more. There, keep coming, keep coming. There's more, I promise you. I pro just trust me. And he leads me along. And he brings me further. He takes me closer. And then at the end of it, I say, oh, oh, look what he did. Look what he did. How did he do that? I'm so glad I was here to see it myself. Right? But that's how this walk with God goes, is that God is patiently and kindly and sometimes persistently leading us along because we don't see it the way he sees it but his heart is towards us and just as we read in the bible in verse 5 where the bible tells me jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus i'm so thankful we can read that verse and say martha and her sister and lazarus and me he loves me too and he loves me with a deep and abiding love that doesn't change even when I'm confused, even when I don't see, even when I get off the path. He loves me. And that love isn't changing. It isn't disappearing. And if I question it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Have you questioned the love of God? Yes. Have we questioned the wisdom of God? We have. And yet God is doing something. If I could just encourage us with this simple truth, it's too soon to give up on Jesus. It's too soon to say we know how it ends. It's too soon to think that we know. Because we don't. He knows. And He's promised us that He's begun a good work in us and He'll continue to perform it. The Bible says that we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. The Bible says that God is working all things out for our good and His glory. And that means that's a process. 
And so I think in each of our hearts, we need a, a heart of patience and trust that just says, God, I'm just going to keep walking with you even when you didn't answer my prayer. I'm just going to keep walking with you even when this piece of my life that I begged you so deeply to fix is still unfixed. You know, in the passage, we didn't get to it, but Jesus is going to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. And we'll talk more about it next week. But Jesus resurrects things. He takes dead things and makes them living. And we're tempted to give up on him when we see something that's dead. And we say, I guess it's dead. But he's the God of resurrection. And so let's walk with him. Let's keep going down the path. Because one day we're going to shout glory and we're going to say, look at what he did. So the story's not done. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. I don't know how God has used this in your